Hi, this is AJ and welcome to the Movie Health Podcast. We talk about movies and mental health. In this episode, Catherine Gestre talks to Jackie Short about her favourite movie and tips for mental health. Enjoy. The Movie Health Podcast is proudly supported by Telemoods by eClapper Project Inc. Telemoods is a mobile application that recommends which movies and TV series to watch by matching the user's mood and the real-time offer of all streaming platforms. Download Telemoods today. Jackie Short is the owner and director of Sydney Centre for Creative Change. She provides support and training to mental health professionals who struggle to engage clients and evoke change using talk-only therapies. Jackie helps counsellors feel confident using creative therapies through online trainings in art, play, drama, storytelling, and sand tray therapies. With over 30 years as a counselling psychologist, play therapist, and adult educator, Jackie is passionate about supporting others to find creative ways to express, explore, and resolve difficulties and grow strengths and capacity in ways that go deeper than words. Welcome, Jackie. Thank you, Catherine. Lovely to be here. Thanks for inviting me. Thank you so much for speaking to me today. Uh, when I asked about your favourite movie, I know that it was a difficult decision, um, but you ended up choosing Capricorn 1. Can you tell us a little bit more about the movie? Absolutely. When you asked me to pick a movie, I thought, oh, that's easy. There's so many I love, which made it actually incredibly difficult. And I think the older one gets, the harder it is to make a selection of just one film that's my be all and end all favourite. And I've been asking friends what their favourite movies have been and inspired by some of their choices as well. But I think if I had to nail down my top six, and I just have to share all of these because it was a tough selection. <laughs> I love Goodwill Hunting, Lantana, The Bluebird of Happiness, Slaughterhouse-Five and To Kill a Mockingbird. So there's some of the other ones that I really love, all really different genres. But what I think captured me about Capricorn One was the day after we last spoke, it happened to be on SBS On Demand Films and I thought, oh, I haven't seen this for ages, I'm going to watch it again. And I hadn't watched it since I was a child and I realised part of my choice of loving that film so much is that it did evoke in me a sense of nostalgia. It was the first film my father took my younger sister and I to. It was the first adult film that we saw. And I just felt so grown up and special being taken to a big person's movie. And it was so delightful from that point of view. It's also interesting looking back because I remember how I felt about some of the scenes and even some of the emotion that was evoked in some scenes and now evokes a really different sense in me. So it was a particular scene uh, where the one of the main protagonists had a sense of something important and ran out of this big warehouse. And I remember saying to my dad at the time, what was he so afraid of? Was there something scary in the room? Because he ran so fast. And I didn't realise the complexity of the story. And when I see it now, it was a sense of urgency that he had a job to do and he had to get out fast. So I think in addition to the nostalgia, it was also I love things that are yardsticks of change for me personally. So those things don't change, but I do. So I can look back and see, well, look how far I've come in terms of, you know, my emotional development and so many other things as well. And I think the third reason um, I love it, in addition to the themes that I know we're going to be talking about soon, is that it's about space. And in the 80s, I was lucky enough to be in the US with my family when the shuttle launches were just happening. And we were staying with families in, in and around Houston. 
that were involved in the space NASA space development and I remember talking to these engineers and being totally excited about space travel and thought at 15 I was going to be an astronaut. Unfortunately, I didn't have the maths or physics capacity to go in that direction, so I ended up in psychology, a little bit of a detour, but I think all <laughs> things still really excite me and, and I think that was probably the third big draw for this particular choice. Oh, wow. I love all those reasons. Um, and it's really interesting that you mentioned a yardstick of change and the fact that the movie doesn't change, but you do. And I guess you see it from different perspective as you grow older and you watch it at different times of your life. Um, and that's really fascinating because I, I love space as well. Um, I love anything about the universe. I actually study the subject in astronomy at university. I just like astronauts. I don't know if you've seen Hidden Figures, but like any movies like that. Uh, yeah, I'm intensely drawn to as well. Um, yeah, so I guess what what would you say uh, you enjoyed the most about the film? I think probably the themes that I saw a little as a child and I see even more now as an adult and the themes for me that really stand out or what I project onto a film like that are themes of in honesty, integrity and trust and I think they're core values for me in my relationships and in my work, particularly the older I get, the more valuable I really find each of those things. And, and I think it, it helps me sit with really big questions even now about things that are important to me, questions like for how long and with what ongoing investment and at what ultimate cost do you persist with dreams that can no longer be realised, no matter how inspiring they might have been for you and for others? I think at a particular time in all our lives, we get to reevaluate who we are and what we're doing and where we're going and whether or not what we had thought we were or wanted is still the same. And if it's not, that's okay. But it's a matter then of retweaking a few things so you can commit to, again, something else that's important and work toward that. So I think that's really important. And that really came out in the film, the whole idea of a mission to Mars and all of this investment and somewhat dodgy investment that meant that we couldn't fail meant integrity was compromised. And I think I would not want to make those choices where I had such an investment in something that wasn't necessarily ultimately that important that looked like such a value compromise and that could have such dire consequences if it wasn't realised. So I think those really, I guess, essentially what, what is the price of dreams and what really matters and how can you avoid entrapment in the pursuit of freedom and your own goals. So I think those things are probably really important to me and anything that can showcase that really lights my fire. Yeah, and, and I agree because um, I wasn't sure what to expect watching it. Um, I'll just introduce the movie a bit so then people who haven't seen it just know a bit of the background. Um, so Capricorn One was made in 1977, directed by Peter Hyams, um, and it stars Elliot Gould, O.J. Simpson, James Brolin, Hal Halbrook and Sam Waterston. So basically the premise is that three astronauts um, have to film fake footage of a manned mission to Mars and then a journalist seeks out the truth. Um, I love what you said, uh, the values and the themes of honesty, integrity and trust. Uh, the film really is about media manipulation and scrutiny and fake news, I guess, in this day and age. Um, and I, I really like one of the lines in the film. Um, I think it was Hal Halbrook's character, Oh no, I think it was the, sorry, the person who played the president, um, said, we are a brilliant species capable of pettiness and ca capable of greatness. 
Um, and I think that really touches upon um, so many elements of the film where there are a lot of masks being worn. There's obviously the conspiracy theories and um, just the whole premise of like the power of big corporations and um, the dishonesty and the, the lack of integrity that, that you mentioned. Um, because they, they wanted to uphold a certain reputation or they didn't want to disappoint um, the public. Um, and, and that kind of draws as well to, um, you know, the, the, the aspect of, yeah, like being, being really aligned with your values and not compromising on them. I think that's really true. And what you're talking about in terms of fake news and the the potential corruption and misinformation and abuse that big corporations and in fact big governments can can promote I think has really come again to the fore in this post COVID age or near post COVID age where the whole vaccine question was really and lockdown issue was 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 so big for so many people to what degree can we trust science and the media and our governments and I think some people and some countries trusted more than others and I think. It'll be, and I know is already, an amazing analysis of who trusted and why and why not because I think some governments and some media agencies are more trustworthy than others and I think Mm -hmm. some people are far less trusting and sometimes with very good reason. So while I'm not an anti-vaxxer and I do believe most of what the government might promote and provide, I don't believe all of it, but I've also had incredibly positive experiences with it. And if one weren't to have had those, I could understand why people would trust the integrity of some of the sources of information that they might be receiving. Yes, definitely. And with, with Elliot's Gold's character in the film and being the journalist, I, I found it interesting how it shows his journey of, you know, initially kind of, you know, ignorance is bliss kind of attitude and then eventually finding, oh, like there's something here that he really needs to discover. Um, his interactions with the wife played by Brenda Vaccaro, so Kay Brubecker, who is um, uh, James Brolin's character's wife, um, I found them like really good scenes um, and, and the fact that, you know, it's it was like a slow progression in, into, into finding that there is something terribly wrong here um, and something needs to be done. Um, and I guess it, it does go back to, you know, like social justice and advocacy and, um, you know, like doing the ethical thing. Was there was there any particular scene for you that um, that stood out and kind of, you know, resonates with you now? There were. There's, I think the scene, uh, there were two scenes that really stuck in my mind. The, the, um, the last scene uh was an important one. And again, interesting when I reflect back when I was 11, it felt like it wasn't finished. Like I wanted just, I want to see the justice done to the baddies. I wanted to really recognise that they knew that they'd done the wrong thing and that, you know, it, it had all come full circle. But I think I appreciated the subtlety of just the arrival of the mm. the lead astronaut and the journalist running in slow motion, you know, in, in all their dirt and mayhem to the memorial that was the send-off for these astronauts and all of the NASA people who conspired to effectively kill them. And that scene, it's just really beautiful. I love um, the the faces of Brubaker, the astronaut, and Caulfield, the journalist, uh, that sense of pride and relief that it was over and their job was done, the shock on the wives' faces and the realisation, the slow dawning on all the baddies' faces that the gig's up 
you've tried everything and it hasn't worked. <laughs> now you're in trouble. And so I, I love the ending. But I also really enjoyed how what happened to the three astronauts. So they managed to get away. They they knew that they weren't going to be able to go back to their families and their families' lives had been threatened, which is why they need to do the whole fake hoax thing. When the shuttle that they were in was supposed to would have blown up because the life support system wasn't adequate, so they were going to die anyway. So they pulled them out of the shuttle, and that was the premise to the whole story. So they recorded it in this big old shed. And when they realised that they weren't ever coming back, they tried to escape, and they managed to get on an aeroplane and didn't have enough fuel, landed and landed in the desert, and they decided to go in three different directions. And one by one, they were picked off. And the really strong guy, who was the O.J. Simpson character, who I didn't even realise it was him until I read the review as well. But, oh, my gosh. And he he was a really strong guy. But even though he was strong, he was still hallucinating because he was dehydrated and he didn't have the strength and he was killed. The second astronaut was really funny. He was had a great sense of humour and he was always lightening the mood and he was super determined and he was climbing this really big cliff at the end and he was using jokes to help him. He was so determined, but even in spite of his good humour and his determination, he was still picked off at the end because he wasn't looking far enough ahead. And the third guy, the guy who had yes. survived, he maybe wasn't the strongest and he wasn't the funniest and maybe he wasn't the most determined, but he was the most intelligent and he exercised those leadership skills. He was prepared to hide. He was prepared to risk being bitten by a cobra. He was prepared to eat alive like a, a raw snake. So he was prepared to really kind of go all out and take risks. And that's what helped him survive and be the winner in the end. So I, th- I liked the way that was all constructed as well. So each of those scenes were also um, top ones for me. Yeah, it, it kind of showcased his his tenacity, didn't it? So he he was the one who ended up surviving. Um, and I like what you said, how um, the ending kind of yeah, was vague and it was open-ended in a way. And I guess it, it's relevant to life where it's not necessarily about happy endings and we, we don't know what will happen from the course of justice. But we know that at least in the process, you know, the journalist finally did um, make contact with the astronaut and, and they knew the truth and they were coming to basically expose the lies um, of NASA. Um, I, I love that scene as well. And I was like, what, what, what's going to happen next? But of course, <laughs> yeah, we don't, we don't actually know. Um, I, I don't know if you're aware, um, but the, in the last scene when Elliot Gold and James Brolin are running, I was thinking because both of them have been married to Barbara Streisand. Oh, I don't know. Yeah, so I know James Rowland is currently married and Elliot Gold in the in the 70s. And I was actually thinking about it. Um, there's a song that uh, Barbara Streisand composed about uh, President Trump called Don't Lie to Me. And I was looking at the lyrics, um, just looking at all these relevant points. Um, and one, one of the lyrics is everyone answers to someone. And I think it, you know, it kind of sums up the story as well, where at the end, you know, NASA or even um, Dr. James Calloway, who was played by Hal Halbrook and was basically the antagonist of the film and the story. Um, you know, the face that he has to that, he's like, oh no, like I'm in trouble. And he realizes that, you know, all his lies and deception and manipulation have basically come to the fore. Um, and he has to answer to everyone, to the family, to the public, to the government, um, to humanity. Um, and of course, you know, to the astronaut who survived. Um, what, what did you think of his character? Oh, I thought he played a fantastic evil man. <laughs> he was great. I really <laughs> liked him so intensely. But the duplicity that he so successfully wielded in having the trust of 
the the wife who he was personally visiting for support mm. and the pretense he kept up was magnificent and and I think that was part of what was so satisfying at the end and watching it now in my mid 50s not even needing him to be in jail which I really wanted at, at 11 <laughs> just yeah. knowing that he knew it was over and 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 watching the that he was no longer a winner in yeah. in the script that he'd written for himself it, yeah it was incredibly satisfying yeah yeah it was very satisfying was <laughs> it um yeah I thought he I thought he played the character very well um as well and also just wanting to touch upon another um relevant thing so I know James James Brolin's son is Josh Brolin who's also an actor and he played in another film called True Grit I don't know if if you've seen that film um I think it was in the mid-2000s and it's also about the search for justice so it's um, basically a western drama about a 14 year old girl who goes on a mission to find her father's killer and then she gets accompanied by a U.S. marshal and a Texas ranger played by um, Josh Brolin so I just thought I'd um, say that because I there's a lot of films out there that are about justice and and this one in particular like you know it was different for me because it is a film in the 70s so I guess like in, in the context of it all following the moon landing um and you know like this this story was just so so fascinating to watch play out um and, and for you just going back to your original point um when when like what would you say was the main difference to when you first watched it to now i think the thing that stood out was <clears throat> for some reason I, I i think i might have been a bit scared of the dark when i was young and because that room he was in was a bit dark, I was a bit scared for him in it. So yeah. I, I think the emotional maturity I, I, I recognised in myself. I, I also recognised um, in watching it more recently just how dated the film is and how much more sceptical yeah. I am and how much of a high standard I have for effects. So, yeah. so the Astro character who is managing to be rescued on a crop-dusting small plane, holding onto the wire on the side of the wing. And oh, my gosh. And he's doing a loop-the-loop. Loop. I'm going, he's dead. No, he's still holding on. And then the next scene, he's not bleeding from the hands. I'm going, where's continuity? So, yeah, I, I definitely had far more exacting standards than I would have when I was younger. But also I think uh, the, set, the the film portrayed that it was a 70s-era film that reflected the socially mm-hmm. depicted norms of the day. So... I think the female characters were a little bit disappointing. And while, like you, mm. I love that scene with the journalist and the main astronaut's wife, I felt disappointed that she wasn't more robust and I think she would be, right. be portrayed today. So I think there was mm. only two real female characters that I noticed in the film when I watched it recently. One was um, you could be a loyal wife and mother who, even while incredibly clever, was still going to miss critical cues from your husband to suggest something that would mean that you could save him. So that was really disappointing because she was really bright. She acknowledged it. Everyone acknowledged it, but she missed it. And the second sort of woman you could be was a hard-to-get and then sexually permissive career woman mm. who was happy to be used by men. So it's like, oh, limited choice back in the 70s. So I feel like it's great we've come a long way. And, um, yeah, that was something that an, another lens through which I could see things have changed. Yeah, yeah, that's so true. Like in the context now, she would be portrayed very differently, I think. Um, and you're talking about the journalist, right? As the um sexually promiscuous. Yeah, yeah. Okay. She she was a very minor character. I wasn't even sure. Um. Yeah. Um. The the scene where um he does he he does give the clue to his wife while he's speaking to her. Um. 
I think that was pretty powerful. And it was interesting because you're on the edge of your seat. And you're like, what does this mean? Like, what what is he actually saying? And then when um, Elliot Gold's character finds out that it is about, uh, you know, fake footage, I, I think that was really interesting. Um, yeah, I think the film has a re- has a good blend of like humor, action, adventure, and suspense. Um, it is pretty funny and ironic when you watch it. Um, and and like you said, uh, the effects are a little bit hmm. Um, the, the the scene that you mentioned where um, James Brolin yeah is hanging on the <laughs> hanging on the wing that kind of just uh, ruined it for me in a way. But I think overall, I guess it it had good intention. And, um, and it has very uh, relevant themes um, that, that still resonate with us today, of course. Um, and, you know, you know, interesting characters as well. Who, who would you say is your favourite character in the movie? I think both the Brubaker astronaut and Caulfield, mm-hmm. the journalist, are my two favourite characters. I love that Brubaker is an astronaut. He's clever, fit, prepared, decisive, a great leader, a risk taker, an eater of raw snake, a protector of his family, <laughs> and of a clue giver. So they're all the reasons that I love him. And I love that Caulfield is eventually passionate, believing, determined to know and reveal the truth, and is able to put his own personal safety second, and in that demonstrates bravery and heroics. So apart from eating raw snakes, I would love all of those qualities of both of them. <laughs> so if you could blend the two characters together, it'd be the, the ideal character. Absolutely. <laughs> a, a strong sense of justice. Yeah. Absolutely. Yeah. Yeah. Well, uh, thank you for talking about Capricorn One with me. I'm really curious, um, as a mental health professional, what would you say are your main mental health tips that you want to share with our uh, audience today? I think there are three things that can be helpful with any sort of mental health presentation. And the first is really working hard to keep a healthy body to be able to keep a healthy mind. So sometimes really the most basic of things when we're feeling overwhelmed or under pressure or not quite ourselves, we tend to forget. So really coming back to the basics of getting a really good night's sleep, having enough hydration, so drinking enough water every day, looking at diet and nutrition, being socially connected in ways that are appropriate, that you can manage, having even gentle exercise and being in nature, all of those really practical things I think are super important and I would suggest those to everybody before looking at any other sort of intervention. Beyond that and a big, big bigger picture, and I don't know that this is a tip necessarily, but really to think about how you can best manage what for you is your own meaning and purpose and manage overwhelm in the face of that. So sometimes it can feel like there's just too much going on or I'm pulled in too many different directions. So really simplifying and just coming back to the body and looking after the body can be good. But then also thinking about what does bring me joy, what does give me a reason to get out of bed, what what do I feel like I'm called in this life to do or be, and what can I do even in a really small way to step in that direction. So I think really looking at general and big purpose questions can be helpful if and when we're ready to do that. And the third thing, which is probably closest to my heart and the work that I do as a provider of training to mental health professionals, is looking at how creativity can serve us all better. So finding ways through creative channels to find a sense of joy, a sense of delight, a sense of calm, and a sense of meaning and purpose ultimately. And whether that's reflective or creative writing, 
drawing, dancing, cooking, sculpting, or making anything at all. It's about finding something that you enjoy doing through which you can have some mental health benefits. And I really recommend people find one or two things that they enjoy doing and get good at doing it, or at least get some basic skills in doing it while they are mentally well and healthy. Because in the tough Mm -hmm. times, physically and emotionally, it's really good to fall back on those sort of things. Whether you know how to knit or sew or cook a great lasagna or whatever it might be, the more you know those things before you go downhill, the more you can lean on those things when you are actually not in a great space. I was talking to a colleague the other night and she's been incredibly sick this year. And she said, I'm so grateful that I've got a great yoga school that I go to because even though I'm not able to do anything but lie on the floor, the fact that I'm there and I lie on the floor, I feel great to be part of that community and I know how to knit and I can just knit the simplest thing but it gives me such satisfaction to produce something at a time when I feel like I can't produce anything. So I would really recommend any sort of creative form not only to help us realise what's important to us, but also just to feel good and feel productive. Yeah, yeah, and I really love your your tips. Um, I think it's really easy to forget, you know, the basics and the essentials, um, like you mentioned, sleep and hydration, but they are so important. And I, I agree that they are the foundation um, of, of good self-care and, and, and mental well-being. Um, and, of course, yeah, with um, thinking about, our, like, a purpose, like something bigger than ourselves, just something that gets us out of bed in the morning, um, that's that's something that, you know, a, a lot of people lack, unfortunately. And I think that, you know, whether it's work or, like, volunteering or, like, um, even, you know, relationships with, with certain people or being in a, in a community, I think that's really beneficial as well. Um, and, of course, yes, with, with creativity, I, I totally advocate for that as well. Um, I think, you know, we are all creative and expressive beings. Um, and I like how you're saying that it is a kind of like embodiment as well and it is doing something physical and um, not just being up here like in, in, in the headspace or being all mental. Um, and I guess, you know, for, for you personally, is, is there anything that, that helps you on, on you know, like that, that helps you uh, with your mental and emotional well-being? I think probably each of those three things. So really if I'm feeling a bit overwhelmed or tired or whatever, I, I think really coming back to looking at my physical well-being and what I can do, even just one or two things a day, that would be small changes that could make big differences. And the first thing that I always can do more of is drink water because I just forget to drink during the day and I'm, I I just go to coffee or tea, which is great, but not as hydrating. Mm-hmm. So really coming back to like drinking at least a litre of water a day is really helpful, making sure that I'm getting to bed early enough um, and having at least two hours off screen before I do put my head on the pillow because if I'm too stimulated, I just can't fall asleep. So reading a book before I go to bed really helps. Being in nature really helps. I've got a, lucky enough to have a great little garden, so getting out there, even just doing some weeding, touching the soil with all those lovely nutrients um, and organic matter is really grounding and earthing and always makes me feel better. Um, I think really thinking about not only what I'm doing and how I'm doing it, why I'm doing it so really coming back to what my why is and revisiting that and I think Capricorn one and those sort of movies does make me question what are still my dreams and it's not to go to Mars or the moon anymore like I might have wanted to at 15 Um, and maybe I want to go in slightly different directions in my work or in some of my relationships or even in relation to my own body and well-being so really being able to reevaluate and recommit to the things that are important and give me meaning and purpose are important. And in terms of creative outlets, I've got lots that I really, really enjoy doing. At the moment, I'm really enjoying um, 
um, art and I've got a little group that I'm in each week and I really love meeting with them and we do a little check-in and just have an hour where we make our own art and then just share reflections mm-hmm. on that. So I found that really, I did a group in that this morning for an hour and that was really lovely. And I'm doing a creative writing group um, this weekend, which I'm also really looking forward to. So writing and art making at the moment are two wonderful creative channels for me that I enjoy. Oh, that's so lovely. Um, and everything you mentioned actually takes me back to the film. It's it's relevant to Capricorn One in terms of the themes. It is about being honest with ourselves, isn't it? And kind of, you know, obviously being um, compassionate and trusting, trusting what brings us joy. Um, and it's, you know, it's not about what other people are doing or what society, you know, necessarily says is great, but it's actually what, what personally brings us joy and, and calm and peace. Um, and I like how you mentioned before that it is about building positive habits um, when we're not feeling down. So then at least it, it does become a habit that we're used to and, and we can um, kind of reach for that when like at any time, whatever it might be. So for me, I, I like adult coloring books. Um, I haven't done it in a while, but I, I find them very soothing. Um, and yeah, also being part of the community, doing Zumba classes, being physically active, um, and nature, I think is one of the best therapeutic healers. So I, I definitely agree with that. Um, just, you know, just, just, you know, like being solitary, going for a hike or like even just sitting under a tree. I think all of that, it, it, sometimes it's just the simple things, um, that, that we forget that are probably the most important and most effective in the moment. So, um, thank you so much for those, for those tips. They're very helpful. Um, I, I also just want to go back to, um, the very beginning when you mentioned your top five movies. I, I have, I have to address it because I, I love how, how diverse your selection is. Um, and I, I noticed that you mentioned Slaughterhouse, which I'm assuming is a horror film. Uh, no, it was, um, there's only two movies I've ever seen that haven't disappointed me after I've read the book. I've got a really vivid imagination, which is both good and bad if I feel a bit unwell at 3am because it's definitely something more <laughs> sensitive it actually is. But when I read a book, I've got a really clear picture of the sets, of the characters, of the action. And so when I watch the film, I'm frequently disappointed if it's been an adaptation. Mm-hmm. But I wasn't in To Kill a Mockingbird and I wasn't in Slaughterhouse-Five. So Slaughterhouse-Five is one of my favourite books. It was um, oh, one of Kurt Vonnegut's later books. And I love most of his books, and I think he's a very clever commentator, US commentator on people. And this was a story that was based in three time periods before I I read it in the probably mid-80s, before I'd seen a lot of postmodern movies like Pulp Fiction where the sequence isn't logical. And Slaughterhouse Five was written like that. So the past, present, and future were all interchangeable. And there was one man who was consistent, but jumping, sort of time traveling between these different zones and would never know where he was going to wake up or appear. And um, it was really, really, uh, uh, yeah, it, it's, it's hard to describe exactly what it is without spoiling the story or the narrative. Mm-hmm. So I'm not going to say any more. You haven't seen it, but I really loved <laughs> um, reading anything of Vonnegut, but particularly that one, and um, and seeing the film. It was quite quite good as well. Ah, uh, okay. Yeah, I just assumed it was horror, but anyway. <laughs> no, like um, horror. It's too scary for me because I I just totally believe I'm there. I remember just seeing um, what was that film? Uh, the was it the others with Nicole Kidman? Oh you- yes, great movie. 
Mm. And it was a great movie and, and I love the the twist at the end. And I was sitting there and I'd, I was there with a girlfriend and we were seeing a matinee. So it was light outside and we'd had a nice lunch and we came in and halfway through she grabbed my arm and she said, Jackie, Jackie, look at me. And I looked at it and she said, it's just a movie because I was screaming and jumping and flailing all the way through it. And that's not even that scary. So I can't do horror at all. Like I just can't sleep and I just totally believe it's all real. That's shocking. No, I understand. It is very immersive um, and the others is deeply unsettling. So I have to, I find it genuinely terrifying. It is a psychological thriller. So yeah, I I understand. I understand why, why you would not like it um, or the genre. Uh, It it is my favourite genre and it's it's really interesting because I think um, there have been studies about how it does, it can help people with anxiety um, because you know that it's in a safe space and it is kind of like uh, for a certain duration of time and then you can experience heightened feelings uh, of, of arousal but then know that it will end. So I, I, I found that fascinating. And I think that's part of the reason I can't manage it because while there's a part of my brain that knows that, while I'm there, I'm so immersed in it that I don't have a sense that this is ever going to end and then I'm not in a theatre so it's not safe. I'm actually right there mm-hmm. in the movie. Okay. So that's why it doesn't relieve my anxiety. It absolutely escalates it. Right. Okay. Yeah. Yeah. I guess it's different for everyone. That's true. But I think if you can have that container, it's absolutely wonderful. And I could really see how it would be beneficial. Yeah. Yeah. Um, what were the other films? I know you mentioned Goodwill Hunting, which interestingly enough might actually be the film that the next um, podcast guest will be talking about. That's one of my favourite films as well. Great example of of human themes and therapy and, and so many things. Um, what, what were the other films you mentioned? Lantana. Oh, Lantana, yes. As, um, what's his name? Anthony LaPaglia? Is that right? Yeah. yeah. And uh, a film that I loved in childhood and saw quite a lot. I haven't seen it for a while, but it's called The Bluebird of Happiness. The Bluebird of Happiness. Was that based on a true story? I have no idea and I haven't seen it for ages. My little sister, who's quite a bit younger than me, used to watch it almost every day, like she loved it so much. And I think that turned me off it a bit because we were almost all word perfect in it, like if we were watching it so much. <laughs> but it was really lovely. But it was quite a I, – I, I've got a vague sense it might have even been a black and white film. It was very, very old, but it was a beautiful story about what the essence of happiness actually is and it was represented with this little bluebird that came down to his children. Oh, okay. Yeah, yeah. I have to look that up because I haven't haven't seen that. But I have seen the Tana, but many years ago. And that that's a drama, isn't it? That's a yeah, yeah. An Australian drama. Yes. Yeah. 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 That's good. I, I liked when I was teaching at a psychology college. Um, I was doing a a couple of weeks of a, a, a lecture series on transference and countertransference, and mm. it perfectly illustrated that because there was a one of the main characters is a therapist, and she's going through some personal issues that are similar to one of her clients, and it's really interesting to sort of see mm. how that all unfolds. So it was a really good demonstration of it with film that I used to use to illustrate it. Oh wow! Okay, I have to add that to my um, to my list as well then. Um, thank you so much for your time today Jackie it was great to discuss um, Capricorn One with you and for you to share your mental health tips with us thank you so much for your time my great pleasure Catherine